0: What is up, Buttercups? Welcome to Mean Age Daydream. I'm, of course, Brian McWilliams, and I've got some big news for you guys. Not just that you can listen to the newest Do Nothing Man, the live recording from Porkfest by joining our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Liberty or at linesofliberty.locals.com, but also that I have mega huge news. I think many of you will uh, be interested in hearing and it's not just that I'm so tired because I am very tired, but that's not big news. That's like typical news, right? I'm an old man, 43. Last night in the middle of the night, I wake up, my fucking middle finger hurts. My middle finger. Did I hurt the middle finger? No. Did I smash it on something? No. Did I close it in the car door? No. But every three minutes, exactly, a throbbing, sharp pain. I know those are two different things, but it was a sharp, throbbing pain it would shoot through my middle finger and wake me up in the middle of the night. So I'm exhausted. But that's not the news. The news, guys, is that I am now uh, very proud to share with you that I have taken on the role of communications director for the Libertarian National Party. Now, as you know, most of you probably know I have a very good relationship with Angela McArdle, the chair. She and I are friends. And this came about very quickly. Um, you know, at Porkfest, if you listen to the live episode I did with Angela and Matt Kibbe, we talked about how I've got some ideas for messaging, where I, what I think would be helpful to grow the party, where I think we need to go to communicate, to grow, to, to inspire people, to get people to believe in what we're doing and not be so negative, right? Uh, a party of positivity. And Angela called me out. She says, okay, well, let's talk about it. So I set up a call with the the head of marketing, Carrie, and uh, things just kind of snowballed very quickly to the point where now I am the communications director. So I'm happy to take this role on. I have some very strong feelings about where we should go, as I mentioned. I'm going to tie this in with Freedom Futurism. And I encourage you all to keep an eye out. So I'm just starting. I mean, it'll be my second day doing this uh, as of when this podcast airs. And of course, we're already busy because RFK uh well, not okay. Trump just got indicted. We'll try we're gonna talk about that a little bit. But we're jumping right in. You know, it's it's feet first, and I invite you to give me feedback. I invite you to follow me on Twitter at Brian McWilliams. I will definitely talk about some of what we're going to be doing, the things I can talk about on the podcast. So I invite you to check in on that and uh, I'll do, you know, updates where, where possible. Obviously there's some things when you're working for a political party, you don't want to share, but I will share some of my thoughts, some of what we're working on uh, as long as I get the, the okay from Angela on that. So stay tuned, but it's exciting news. I hope you guys are as enthused as I am about me taking on this new role. And hopefully I can help move the needle. Um, As I said, I do believe that this party can attract a much broader audience, but it's going to take the doing and it may not be immediate. I mean, these things take time guys. I worked in branding and public relations for 20 years. It takes time to move the needle. It takes time to change a perception of a brand of a party of a people of a philosophy, but we're going to work on it. So there you have it. That's the big news, everybody. So if you want to get in touch with me, Uh, feel free to tweet at me. I do have an LP email. I'm not going to give it on the podcast, but open to feedback, guys. Now then, what else should we talk about today? Well, there's a few things. First thing I want to talk about is I got in a a little Twitter kerfuffle with not Sarah Silverman herself, although maybe, I don't know, I, I, I might have muted it and then not seen Sarah Silverman respond, but Sarah Silverman had jumped on this bandwagon and the bandwagon was basically the one that has been targeting RFK Jr. as an anti Semite. Now, this began, as you might have heard in the last episode, this began with his being recorded on video talking about how COVID disproportionately was not infecting Ashkenazi Jews, a very specific type of Jew, and Chinese. I think, I'm not sure if you said Chinese specifically or Asians. This, well, this was at a private event, but it was taken out. And shared publicly and, and obviously clipped so that it made it seem as though RFK Jr. was a conspiracy theorist saying that, well, COVID was created uh, to not infect Jews and Chinese. Now, as I said last episode, it would be foolish to think that this technology doesn't exist, right? To target certain types, it, it does exist. It's also forced to think that RFK Jr., who, if there's one complaint I have and many libertarians have about him, is that he stumps harder for Israel than almost any candidate out there. I mean, it, he regularly has discussions with very prominent rabbis, you know, pro-Israel rabbis. Shares them on his podcast, shares them on his social media feeds. To, to pretend that this guy is somehow an anti-Semite or anti-Jew is, frankly. I was going to say the R word, but I'll I'll try not to I'll try to avoid it now that I, I have a new role. It's imbecilic, and yet what do we see? We see Debbie Wasserman Schultz bringing it up in in these hearings. We see him being attacked uh, by all these leftists as an anti-Semite. We see the word neo-Nazi being thrown around here for a man who's number one been in the public eye in a very prominent family, you know, in in public service for decades. You'd think if these things were going to come out, they would have come out by now. If he was anti-Semite, it would have come out. It would have been used as a political tool before. So it's interesting timing. But then what was extra specially stupid was that he was talking about the secret service assignments. Now, look, I'm not a secret service uh, professional. I don't know what the exact, you know, (laughs) how do you decide when somebody gets secret service by who doesn't decide it? He was tweeting something out saying, Usually you get them within a certain period of time. And he used the numbers 14 and 88 saying something like, you know, 14 weeks and 88, whatever it was, whatever numbers it was, it doesn't really matter. But people latched on to his complaining about not having a secret service detail, which is honestly fair considering the fact that his father and uncle were both assassinated. And, you know, he is going against the biggest influences in our public sphere, a.k.a. Big Pharma, a.k.a. the military industrial complex. He's talking about the elites. He's he's, I mean, he's doing everything you would want to do if you were in line to get somebody, say, to pay somebody to take you out. RFK's pretty much nailing that. So what happens when he tweets about the Secret Service and uses this 14 and 88 numbers, which I had no idea connotated some sort of Nazi symbolism? Oh, well, people, gl- they glommed onto it, right? All of these celebrities, all of the, the ADL, which by the way, Interesting tweet by Jeremy Kaufman pointing this out, but according to the ADL, I mean, it literally something like 17% of the numbers between one and a hundred. Whoops. Sorry about the mic bump are listed as hate numbers because all these different factions of Nazism in whatever countries they're out, you know, they've got their different symbols and, and you know, they latch onto these numbers. Okay. Sarah Silverman tweets about how this conspiracy, right? He clearly 14 and 88. Those are Nazi numbers. Clearly he's dog whistling to Nazis as though this makes any sense. Number one, the guy is running for president. He's been in the public eye for decades. He's just all of a sudden deciding now he's going to drop these Nazi symbol letters in there in the middle of a presidential candidacy run when he's got, you know, ample public support enough that he should be debating somebody come the time. He's just deciding, you know, now's the time to dog whistle these Nazis. I've been secretly courting for years. You would really want to knock it luck in that Nazi vote, right? How many KKK members are there in the United States? I mean, last I heard it was under 3,000. How many federal agents marching around pretending to be whatever Patriot Front or whatever new blood tribe garbage these people are are pretending to, to be? How many of those people are you really wooing in to get behind you in your campaign? I mean, well, on the other side of things, He's been one of the most progressive people when it comes to, you know, climate and he's recounted some of that and become uh, more of a a fan of markets, market solutions. In what world does it make sense that RFK Jr. is going to somehow Nazi symbolize this shit? And yet you have idiots like Sarah Silverman going out there and saying that they just can't believe that this man would blatantly use nazi symbolism because what i mean what other explanation could there be why would he use those numbers and that's what i'm saying those numbers if you list any two numbers between you know one and a hundred your odds of getting some nazi symbolism in there are you know 20 but these people are going down this rabbit hole so why why are they going down the rabbit hole well because as i already said rfk jr represents a danger to the status quo. He represents a danger to the elites. He represents a danger to the pharma industry. He talks about the government and the pharma industry working hand in hand. He talks about this event that they held, you know, event, was it 207, where they all got together. You have the former heads of CIA operations in there that now had taken over, you know, the COVID propaganda machine. The man's done his research. He knows what he's talking about. Not only that, but he's talking about, you know, how ukraine's a farce. he talks about how we need to rein in the u.s empire he is attacking all of the sacred cows the sacred monetary cows of the united states empire that fund the elites he is trying to take these people to to account so of course how are they going to take him down well he does have a lawyerly record of you know like a hundred some court cases many of which he's won so to call him a crackbot, to call him a conspiracy theorist is a little bit tricky when he's won court cases. He has legal documents. He's actually provided the applicable information to win in court in front of a jury. So what's the other option here? You don't want to de- debate him head to head. I mean, Peter, Dr. Peter Professor Hotez refuses to do that. It seems like it would be easy enough to defeat him if you had the tools at your disposal. And look, guys. I am a COVID vaccine skeptic in every possible way. I'm not a vaccine overall skeptic, although I do think that we have way too, va- way too many vaccines. I think that the, the schedule is absurd. I don't think we need 60 vaccines or whatever it might be. And I do think there could be some effects of that. But to pretend that this man is a Nazi and when I had tweeted about Sarah Silverman and what I tweeted back to her, and I think it might be the most engaged tweet I've ever had. I, I muted it because it was too annoying to follow. But at the last time I, I checked it, it, had you know, a, a thousand plus likes and people responding to me and saying, well, and what, Oh, the tweet I responded to, I'll, let me read it to you. I said to Sarah Silverman, I said, you know, uh, I thought I lost all respect for you when you turned on fellow comedians for doing the same type of humor that made you famous, which she did. But now you've hit a new low. And then I tweeted out saying that I guarantee you, Sarah Silverman, mock conspiracy theorists during COVID. I guarantee you. Saying, oh, my God, can you believe these idiots believe the lab? Like, can you believe these idiots believe that masks don't work? And yet here she is, parodying one of the most idiotic conspiracy theories ever put out there. And why? Because she watches MSNBC or because she follows the Anti-Defamation League or APAC or whatever, whatever it might be, whatever special interest group that it might exist out there that wants to take out RFK Jr. because of the danger he represents. And the easiest thing to do, as it always has, always will be Ron Paul on record saying that APAC, one of the greatest evils because of how they operate and how they you know undermine people. It's just too easy to say you're anti-Semitic. Virtually anything makes you anti-Semitic. It's just a matter, it's like three felonies a day. Virtually anything will make you anti-Semitic if you look into it. They're scared of him. And this is the easiest way to take him out is the social assassination of RFK Jr. Because who are most likely to fall in line, to be fooled by a social assassination, an assassination on the merits of hatred and bigotry? Well, it's the people on the left who, of course, are who he's trying to attract to take away from Joe Biden's base. There you go. So, fairly straightforward, isn't it, when you put it all together? But guys I'm thirsty. I was out in the sun today at an event, and it has made me very thirsty. Okay, so there you go. There's RFK. Let's move on to the next topic here. So, Trump just got a, this doesn't sound like I just take on this role with the LP, and now, all of a sudden, right out of the gate, we got to talk about this Trump indictment. So let's talk about it. First things first, I do not think this indictment should have happened. I think it's absurd. I think everything about January 6th and Trump's involvement is absurd. I think that these people being in prison for their role, I mean, maybe there's a couple of them you could argue, you know, if they breach the whatever, but still it's public property. You have a right to protest. You have a right to, to be on public land. And, the life sentences, almost almost life sentences for many of these people is clearly sending a message. I'm not going to say that it was 100% set up to be a conspiracy theory, to trap these people, to make the argument that white extremism is the greatest threat to America, as Joe Biden has claimed. Of course, that is ridiculous. And to essentially usher in this era of social media censorship and tracking, which now, fortunately for the time being, has been knocked back a little bit. But I'm not going to say that there's nothing to it either. But regardless, Trump's role in this as a, I don't know, they're, they're saying somehow he is responsible for the January 6th uh, actions and more so, this was, in fact, it, it's more than just trying to get him on the, the uh, quote-unquote assault on our democracy at the uh, the the Capitol building. Really, what it comes down to is they're trying to say that he is undermining our democratic elections. Now, the argument they're making for this, From what I can tell, because this just got dropped, right? So I have not had a chance to read the whole indictment. I'm going off of news reports. But these four counts and three charges from Special Counsel Jack Smith, conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to instruct an official proceeding, obstruction of an attempt to obstruct, a lot of obstructions in here, an official proceeding, and conspiracy to deprive citizens of the free exercise of constitutional rights. Now, I don't... (laughs) I don't understand how you're supposed to justify that last one. Deprive citizens of the free exercise of constitutional rights. That seems like something you could sue the federal government on every single day of every single year. But they're trying to get Trump on this saying that essentially, and this is just my take here, and I'll have to see what the evidence is, but essentially the argument here is that Trump because he said that the election was a farce, that these that the results shouldn't stand, that certain elections he tried to influence them and overturn them, that that is enough to indict him on. Now, to me, and this is kind of where I fell on and under the impeachment where, you know, Justin Amash and I had uh, gone different directions and, and certain other libertarians insofar as what is or is not, you know, obstruction of justice and, if, and whether that should be something that is even a crime. I, I don't think it should be. If you're trying to avoid going to prison, I don't see why you should have to comply in any way, shape or form with the government. I'm sorry, I just don't I don't see this, especially if you think you're innocent. I'm sorry, I don't think so. I don't agree with it. So they invented a crime that essentially means that you can still go to jail, even if you're innocent, because you tried not to go to jail. So this latest iteration, if Donald Trump, did believe that he lost the election fair and square, well, then it certainly seems to fall under free speech rights that he should be able to push back and fight against it. Does it not? And if you believe you were wronged, you should use every possible Avenue to overturn that election and, and get your, you know, legally protected, right. uh, As the rightful winner of the election, right. If that's what you believe on the same note, If you are his supporters and you believe that this is the right way to go, the actions they took were in quote-unquote defense of their belief in freedom and justice and everything else, right? So their argument essentially boils down to this. They're saying that Donald Trump knew willingly uh, that he had lost and took on this fight. And that's, I guess, the attack, I'm sorry, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding and obstruct an official, uh, two different obstructions of official proceedings. Essentially, it still boils down to this. They're saying Trump knew he lost for a fact and still said, go out and fight and, you know, undermine the election." Now, even that, even that, even if you know you've lost and they're a specter of the possibility that you could resuscitate your presidential campaign, wouldn't you try to do it now, if nothing was illegal in what he did, and that's TBD, right? What was illegal? Did he take any illegal actions? Did he try to drop ballot box votes off? Did he try to, uh, you know, I don't do to, to get recounts thrown out? Did he try to do whatever things that I've heard for fact that the Democrats have tried to do in the past and did this past election, as a matter of fact, if he didn't do anything illegal in trying to fight back against this election result, then I don't see how you can indict him. It's just a man trying to get the most powerful position in the world, by the way. The most powerful position in the world, which is why it's so ridiculous when we were always told that we have the most secure elections, blah, 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 and that voter fraud doesn't occur and that, you know, these uh, vote, you know, ballot harvesting is a great thing and how, how can you even question whether or not we're just having homeless people punch fucking holes for Joe Biden or whatever it might be or just going to old folks' homes and taking their ballots off and filling them out. How dare you question that? Well, we're talking about the most powerful position in the entire world. I'm sorry, doesn't it make sense that people are going to try to to take every avenue in order to obtain that? The question is whether or not he broke any concrete laws in the process. Now, if he didn't, simply saying that he is obstructing a proceeding or trying to uh, conspire against democracy or whatever the fuck it might be is complete horseshit. And certainly does fall in the realm of a politically motivated Department of Justice indicting somebody trying to run for president against Joe Biden. Now, will this actually lead to Trump getting removed? I mean, I I guess there's some measure that could end up with Trump not being able to run. Right. The 14th Amendment, I think they're trying trying to invoke here. But among his base, it's not going to do anything. I mean, I, I will certainly tell you. The indictments have made me want to support Trump more than I ever would, which was zero. It it pumped it up to 1%. Still not going to vote for him, but among his base, it's not going to move the needle. And in the general population, I wonder if it's still it's you're just piling on these indictments on indictments. And January 6th was so overplayed. This production the Democrats put on, this soap opera, which Tucker Carlson did a good job of flipping the script on and showing that this was, you know, a bunch of a bunch of highly curated television production nonsense that the Democrats put together, the average American still is not convinced by January 6th. If anything, the Democrats overplayed their hands so much that the average person just is like, get this shit out of the fucking way. I don't want to hear about it anymore. So what's the end result of this? I mean, They're bringing these charges now. The election's coming up in you know a year and a couple of months. What's the time frame on this? And, and it, honestly, it, it makes me wonder. I mean, Trump's so solidly in the lead now. I would think that it's because they want Trump to run because he's the easier candidate to take down, right? I mean, people hate Trump so much that I would think that DeSantis would easily take Biden out. Now, like, the polls aren't agreeing with me, which kind of blows my mind. But maybe the Democrats want to lock him in because they've got the info. And granted, at the same time, it's a great distraction, Right. You indict Trump right in the middle of Devin Archer testifying. If that's a a coincidence, it's a hell of a coincidence. Throw some shit against the wall, right? Well, let's change the media cycle. Let's give the the leftist news media something else to focus on since they don't want to talk about the links with Joe Biden and Devin Archer, which we'll talk about in just a moment. But I don't know. It seems very thin to me. Seems very thin. So we shall see if they overplayed their hand again. Now, Devin Archer. Devin Archer. So Devin Archer, here's the problem with Devin Archer, is that much like all of these different testimonies of Hunter in the past, corroborating this is going to be very difficult. Devin Archer is saying that Joe Biden was on these calls. He was saying that there was definitely money that was exchanged, a quid pro quo, and that they were being paid, there we go, I'm going to fix my screen, that they were being paid, you know, uh, tens of millions of dollars, 83,000 to work on this charisma, and that Joe Biden had worked to protect charisma and, you know, basically had, had forced us in there. That's, that's the crux of what he was saying. But the problem is you need the guy from Burisma to corroborate this. And and Burisma, the executive of Burisma has said that he has recordings of Joe Biden on the phone talking about this, you know, concrete evidence that he kept as basically blackmail or uh, an assurance plan that he wasn't going to get screwed. Great. That came out in an FBI, a document Chuck Grassley talked about it, but have we seen it? No. So at this point it's hearsay. Now, there's a lot of smoke here, right? Where there's smoke, there's typically a lot of fire. And with the Biden administration, it seems like there's a constant smoke screen going on here, especially when you've got a crackhead who is careless with his laptops, careless with his business dealings, careless with his his father, careless with his sperm. <laughs> congrats, congrats to Joe Biden, by the way, on finally acknowledging his seventh grandchild, which just happened. Good job. Finally, Joe, because you know why? Because his polls hit such a low and he can't lose those suburban white moms. So you gotta take, you know, I gotta take a little credit for Navy Jean there. Navy Jean is not my daughter. Do you think that she named, that stripper named her kid Navy Jean because it sounds good in that song and they could have used it in court, you know, to go after Hunter Biden? I do. So you've got Biden out there now. It certainly looks as though he's complicit. But I don't see, unless they're going to do a full-scale investigation, which the GOP will clearly press for, and there is a highly, highly, uh, you know, good possibility that they'll do that. But even so, it kind of is the Trump thing all over again. If Biden's going to run or not, it would be, by the time it's resolved, probably too late. But at the same time, it's a very useful tool for the Democrats to pressure Biden out. Now, I, to my credit, had called this. I said, what's going to happen? is that the Democrats are turning on Biden. He looks weak. He looks doddering and old and foolish. They need to get him out because the only concern now is that he's going to be so inept by the time we get to this election cycle, these debates. You know, Mitch McConnell up there just, you of know, stroking out, going to his turtle shell. They've got to get him out. So I told you, I said, Hunter Biden, you could tell that this is changing because the media, unlike the last time when they obfuscated, where they said it was Russian disinformation and the media covered this up and censored it and Twitter removed the New York Post. Well, this time around, they covered it. They covered everything about the Hunter Biden laptop. That was your indicator that this worm was turning, that these people are now getting the message, we got to get Joe out. So here's Devin Archer, Right. Here's the uh, Department of Justice, you know, quote unquote, threatening him with uh, jail time and then pulling it back. I don't know. It's all very shady, but it is looking like this is going to be a good way to get Joe Biden to resign or at least not run for a second term. Now, they might call it be- a medical issue. They might call it for whatever it is, but the pressure is clearly on. And now the Democrats say, look, we're going to let this investigation go on into your personal life, into Hunter. And maybe some of your kids end up going to jail. You know, we've got pictures of your granddaughter with the CEO of Barisma, who was supposedly, you know, ousted, but here, you are, here they are a year later taking photos together. So they can use that pressure lever and then Joe will fade away. So there's that aspect. But there's also something here, like even if nothing comes of this and the Democrats are now saying, they're acknowledging that he was on calls, which is interesting. Again, interesting. They're acknowledging, well, Joe was on calls, Right. I can't remember what, what senator or what lawyer was saying. He was, oh, no, oh, he was, he was talking about the weather. Just talk talking about the weather, man. You know Joe Biden. He likes to talk about the weather. The, you know, all those currents in the ocean that blow his blonde hairs up when the children are trapped underneath the water in the pool with him. Joe's got to know the weather. He needs to know how short of a bathing suit to wear. And if you saw the most recent photos of Joe at the beach, he likes the short shorts. He's not afraid to show a little knee. You know, if this was uh, 16th century, old Joe would be arrested for old man pornography, showing a little too much knee crinkles. But regardless of what they talked about, whether sports, ball sacks, dipping in the toilet at that age, Joe Biden was on the phone with these people. That's all you need, right? If you're talking about influence, if you're talking about Hunter Biden peddling influence for millions of dollars, all you need is to get Joe on the phone to prove that you could do it. There's your proof of concept. Here he is. Well, of course, we're not going to talk about business on the phone with him. You, somebody keep recording this. Why would we do that? But you just spoke to Vice President Joe Biden. That really is all you need. It's all you should need to push forward with an indictment because that's your proof. To run something like this. You don't have to have Joe Biden directly saying he wants it. But we also, of course, have the emails and the text talking about 10% to the big guy, Hunter openly talking about this. It's a shady world, people. It's a shady world. But I still think nothing's going to come of this except for the pressuring of Joe Biden to back off, to not run. Question now, who's going to run instead? Hated Kamala Harris? The cackling uh, monster? You know, the idiot? in second command here who literally seems like she's thrown into these stupidest situations, like things that she can never handle AI Kamala Harris is now the AI's are okay. She's not, she's in control of the border. It's like anything that they just don't want to deal with. They were, they're willing to sacrifice her. she's the sacrificial lamb. That's Kamala Harris. So you're going to make the sacrificial lamb you've set up to fail it for the last three years. You set her up to fail in all this in all the worst quagmires created by the government. And you put her front and center just to to suck shit. I <laughs> feel like that's who you got to vote for. Everybody, yeah. There's no way. There's no way. They're gonna they're gonna phase her out. Watch. There's there's no chance Kamala Harris is gonna be your number one candidate. All right, let's move on. Next topic here. Talk about half an hour. Good. That's not too bad. We'll do another uh, another few minutes on this because this was too interesting not to talk about. And i Got my mouth dry. I got to take another Ah, so this is very interesting, but comes with a l- little caveat. So the new IPC director, IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which notably a, uh, I think he's like 80 or 82 year old uh, Nobel Prize winner in physics and I apologize, I don't know his name off the top of my head, he was uninvited from speaking at the International Monetary Fund recently because uh, his take on climate change is essentially that it's a bunch of bunk and that these people are completely misrepresenting everything and that IPCC is one of the greatest spreaders of misinformation that has ever existed. (coughs) A statement which I completely agree with. So, the new IPCC chairman, whose name is Professor Jim Skia, He is now on record talking. This is from uh, talking to Der Spiegel, Der Spiegel out of Deutschland. He says, the world won't won't end if it warms by more than 1.5 degrees. If you constantly communicate the message that we are all doomed to extinction, then that paralyzes people and prevents them from taking the necessary steps to get a grip on climate change. Now, this is as he predicts that the world will exceed the 1.5 degrees Celsius Uh, level of warming, and that governments, of course, have failed to adopt sufficiently ambitious policies. Now, you'll remember Greta Thunberg, five years ago, and in a now-deleted tweet, had predicted, of course, that the world would be over and that uh, the icebergs would melt. I just told you I was just in a bachelor party last weekend in the Yosemite Mountains area, Yosemite National Park, and Yosemite, in their great and infinite wisdom, had put plaques around the park, where they had glaciers and you know, frozen and stuff like that, saying, well, you know what? This These glaciers are going to be gone. They're going to be disappeared. Well, you know what happened in California? We had the coldest, wettest, snowiest winter we've had in 10 years because California is cyclical. And we go through these cycles where we go dry and we have droughts and droughts and droughts. And all these assholes tell us that, well, the droughts are going to kill us all. We have to you know, really watch out. And then we get a bunch of rain and we get a bunch of snow. And they told us we'd never have mountains with snowpack on them ever again. And guess what? We had the deepest, highest, longest snowpack that we've had since I've lived here. But nobody wants to talk about that. They only want to talk about how now everything's hot. And by the way, I can't remember if I talked about this in the show or not. Hilariously, all of these news stations have changed their weather maps. What used to be, if you're old like me, I'm 43, as I mentioned earlier, what used to be The weather map was you would have the map and it would be blue when it was colder than usual. Green was normal. Yellow was kind of warm. And then you'd have like orangey and then red was like real hot, like 115, right? They changed the weather maps. And we've got graphical evidence of this from year to year of 2020 versus 2023 of the exact same temperatures. But now they've changed the maps that they show you on your TV screens. So all the people watching the weather channels, When they see the maps, it's all red now with pink, super hot pink. Watch out. Your fucking tits are going to drop off because it's hot pink weather outside. Now, this is a clear scare tactic. If everything's red, holy shit, red's bad, right? We've grown up knowing that red's bad. How can we not see that the world is on fire, right? Bunch of horseshit. But this guy at least admits the world is not going to end if the world increases this temperature at 1.5 degrees Celsius. In fact, there's a lot of people arguing that it could be a greening. It could lead to an explosion in industrial or in uh, crops. Right? It could lead to uh, a growth in wildlife. We don't really know what could happen with this expanded amount of warmth on the Earth. And by the way, the Earth's going through a greening right now. So, for all the people saying that we're going through climate change, that we're going to be living in a dustball desert, well, even if climate change is happening. They're screening, so you're a fucking idiot. But this guy goes on to say, "Well, you know, we're still living in a very dangerous time, though. I mean, the, things are the world's going to be a very dangerous place." Now, remember, and I just tweeted this out, and this is something you should all remember: if climate change is a problem, the solution to climate change is not authoritarianism, it is not to go backwards, it is not to clamp down, it is. It's sort of like the economy, right? The solution to the economy, when the economy starts going bad, is not for people to clamp down and stop spending all their money because then the economy doesn't work, right? So similar to to climate and the way to, to solve this climate issue, if we were to all of a sudden clamp down on everything and shut everybody down, well, guess what would happen? Similar to when the economy crashes and you have people dying of starvation, and homelessness and they're losing their houses and they're losing their jobs and they can't feed their children and they can't buy their medicine for the children and they're dying of all sorts of different causes similarly climate right now we have the lowest amount of climate deaths in the history of fucking humanity it, by far in the history of humanity the lowest amount of climate deaths why because we have heat in the winter because we have air conditioning in the summer because we have dams because we have ways in which we can stop the elements of from harming us. We also, by the way, they promised us we're going to have record hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes. None of that's happened. None of that's happened. So these people want to go back to the dark ages. They want to limit our carbon intake, not just our intake, not just our ability to live and thrive and do our jobs and provide air conditioning, right? And there was actually a suggestion in California, people supporting this, and and not even just California, but more, I think, broadly than that, that we should have more blackouts, forced blackouts to change climate change. As if blacking out something for 20 minutes or an hour is going to fucking impact anything. I, it, it definitely won't. And also, and fortunately, people in government even spoke up and said, you know what happens during blackouts? People die. People fall down, people get robbed, people crash, old people die of heat exhaustion. Like mean, Blackouts are not good. It's not going to save the planet. But that's what these fucking troglodytes are trying to argue for. You just had Carl Schwab's daughter, and this is not recent. It just was trending recently, but this is from earlier, like six months ago, telling us that climate lockdowns are coming. Permanent climate lockdowns are coming. So we better get used to it. Well, my response to that was as soon as permanent climate lockdowns come, I will permanently declare war on my government. Because, If you're going to take away my ability to provide heat, water, cooling for my family and endanger their lives, you are now factually my enemy in a very real sense. But that's what these people want to do. But at least this newest guy, and this, again, it might just be a a PR tactic because it's kind of a, a little bit of a bait and switch. This guy's still pushing the same moronic policies, but it's refreshing shockingly refreshing to hear one of these animals at least admit we're not all going to die if the earth increases, which it it hasn't even done, by the way, one and a half degrees Celsius. We're not all going to die from that. It's not going to happen. Humanity, and the reason why we're at the top of the food chain, is that we know how to adapt. We know how to invent. And that ingenuity, entrepreneurship, industry, are going to be the solutions to climate change. Carbon capture, different fuel cells, different processes. These are the futures of climate change. And guess what? I I still can't believe that people don't seem to, to understand this concept. I was talking about Yosemite. In Yosemite, Yosemite was created because there was a giant fucking glacier that was there that created this giant valley. The glacier's gone. The Earth, as we know it, used to be one, so we're told, one giant chunk called Pangea. Did Bill and Ted go back and fucking start up a factory that made mattresses and that's what broke up Pangea and that's why we have all these different continents and that's why all this shit switched around and all these fucking different climates switched around? No? Okay, then shut the fuck up. Imagine... The ego involved in thinking that we have so much impact on this environment when we know factually the massive swings in temperature, in humidity, in carbon that have existed over the course of this planet is so fucking stupid that the fact that somehow scientists are signing off on it should be considered the greatest, you know, suicide note that science has ever had. Now, we know science is politicized at this point, but... Every single time I read an additional thing about climate change, despite the fact that we look around and nothing seems to be too dire, every time these people double down on this shit, it's another letter in that suicide note. And that's why this guy is speaking out. He probably still believes the dumbest shit you can believe, but he notices that they're losing this conceptual battle because... When you look around and nothing's changed after 30, 40 years of being told that we're all going to die, that the oceans are going to rise up, and you look to the facts of the Sahara, which, you know, used to be a forest and now it's a desert. Well, we weren't around then. Nothing's adding up. And people are slowly and surely becoming more emboldened to talk about this. And thank God, because the legacy media is losing their grip on the narrative. But that's why this guy's saying it, because he knows that. They hired somebody smart enough to see that they're losing the war and they have to change the tactics because, as we discussed, whether or not it's the World Health Organization pandemic treaty that's going to force us into lockdowns, into CBDCs or climate change, which, if you believe the report from Iron Mountain was floated way back when, back in, I think, the 60s as the primary method to control the population because it's interchangeable. You can't really predict it. You can't really do anything about it, but you can constantly scare people with it. And by virtue of that, you can redefine what you have to to do as a person to, to survive and thrive. And the World Health Organization, of course, has defined climate change as an existential threat to humanity. So a pandemic now consists of climate. We have King Charles going on record saying, well, we have to treat climate... And the war on climate as an actual war. Now, what do you do in actual war? You have to be rationed. You can be forced to stay in your houses. You can be enlisted in the climate war. You could go to war with other nations over climate. Maybe that's, maybe that'll be the excuse they use for us to go to war with China. That China hasn't abided by our climate restrictions and they are going to kill us all. So they are an existential threat because they just keep polluting because they just want their people to have the best lives. Not that I believe that China wants its people to have their best lives, but for the sake of argument. Wouldn't that be a convenient excuse, guys? The war on climate means a war on China. Think about it. All right, guys, that's going to wrap it up for this here episode of Mean Age Daydream. Thank you for checking us out. Uh, Just a reminder, guys, if you are in L.A. or around the region, if you want to come out, uh, we're doing a comedy show. Robbie the Fire's Porch Tour. We did it last year at my house. It was a blast. We did a live comedy. I did about 10, 15 minutes. Robbie did his, I think, like 45, and then we did a live podcast. Afterwards, we rolled out to my bar just down the street. Had a great time. So if you want to come watch some comedy, drink with us at my very own house, which, again, we'll see what the state is. It's going under construction in two weeks, but the porch should be fine. Yeah, it'll be all right. Come on out. I put the link in the show notes, that Eventbrite link. It is on September 9th, so hopefully we will see you here. Otherwise, guys, please support the show. Uh, Tell people about the show. Please tell them you listen here, you subscribe here. Tell people to, uh, to hit the notifications button on YouTube, follow us on Rumble and all that good stuff. And as I said, please do come back because I will be talking about what I'm doing and what I'm thinking, my strategizing with the Libertarian Party. And, um... We'll see how it goes, guys. We'll see how it goes. All right, that's it. For me, Brian McWilliams from the Lions of Liberty Network from Mean Age Daydream. Keep those electric eyes on me, babe. And keep that ray gun to my head.